It is such a privilege for me to be here with you. Uh, I've known your pastor for quite a while. I love him and his family, Priya and the kids. Um, and I bring you greetings from our church in Almaty, Kazakhstan. Yes, and now let's turn to the Word of God. Um, I'd like for you uh, to turn with me, please, uh, to the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, and to chapter 49, Genesis 49. As you return in there, I want to tell you uh, what I will speak about today. We'll talk about the death of two patriarchs, um, the death of Jacob and the death of Joseph. I mean, some don't call Joseph a patriarch, but still. These two deaths, they mark the beginning and the end of our passage. We'll start from uh, chapter 49, verse 29, and we will end uh, with the end of the book of Genesis. And the beginning and the end of this passage that I've chosen are marked by these two deaths, the death of Jacob and the death of Joseph. Then after looking at these two deaths, we will talk about the fear of death that 11 of Joseph's brothers had after the death of their father. And then thirdly, we will talk about the antidote to the fear of death. And the recipe of that antidote we will see in Joseph's response to his brother's lies. So then, we will have three points of today's sermons. Two deaths, the fear of death, and the deliverance from the fear of death. Two deaths, the fear of death, and the deliverance from the fear of death. So, let's first look at two deaths, the death of Jacob and the death of Joseph. Jacob is the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. And we see that Jacob by this time is already in Egypt with all of his children. And Joseph, if you remember, is the prime minister of Egypt, uh, the second person of importance in Egypt. And so we look at Jacob. Jacob and Joseph died as believers, as those who trusted God. They trusted God despite the fact that God's promises were not fulfilled during their lifetime. You know, God promised to Abraham and then to his sons that they will possess the land of Canaan. But by the death of Jacob, he doesn't see that being fulfilled. They do not possess the land of Canaan. They also don't have, Jacob doesn't have the multitude of descendants, as many as the stars in the sky, as it was promised. And yet, we see that he trusts the Lord. You might ask, where does it say in Genesis that Jacob and Joseph died trusting the Lord. It doesn't say it that explicitly in no place in Genesis. But I read one commentary on the Old Testament where it says that. And it's the best commentary on the Old Testament. And I would like to recommend this commentary to you. Uh, I wonder if you know the best commentary on the Old Testament. I'll give you a couple of seconds to think about that. The New Testament, yes. The New Testament is the best commentary on the Old Testament. And if you turn with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 11, that's where it says that Jacob and Joseph died as believers. Please turn with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 11, verses 21 and 22. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 21 and 22. Here's what we see here. By faith, Jacob, when dying, 
Blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Do you see what it says? In both of those verses, 21 and 22, it says, By faith, Jacob and Joseph did something when dying at the end of their lives. So let us look at this passage a bit closer. They did something before they died. Jacob and Joseph, before they died, thought about handing God's promises over to the next generation. In other words, they were not in despair because God's promises were not fulfilled in their lives. They were not angry or disappointed or frustrated or enraged. No. They spoke about God's faithfulness. Even though they didn't see God's promises fulfilled during their lifetime. But they still trusted the Lord. They spoke about God's faithfulness and that He would fulfill what He once promised. It cannot be otherwise. By faith, Jacob and by faith, Joseph gave instructions concerning the future. In other words, trusting God, they conveyed God's promises to the next generations because they wanted those generations to trust God. Look at what it says about Jacob's death. Please turn with me back to the book of Genesis and look at chapter 49. We'll read verses from we'll read verses 29 through 33. Genesis 49 verses 29 through 33. Let's even start from verse 28. All these are the 12 tribes of Israel. So before that, there, were, uh, there was a list of the 12 tribes of Israel. And in chapter 49, Jacob would call each one of his sons and will pronounce blessings upon each one of them. Some of those blessings didn't sound like blessings, but still, he pronounced that and we read the following. All these are the 12 tribes of Israel. This is what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessing each with the blessing suitable to him. Then he commanded them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron, the Hittite. Let me just remind you once again, he's in Egypt right now. And he's got the land, he's got the house, everything is okay. But he says, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron, the Hittite. Verse 30. In the cave that is in the field at Machpelah to the east of Mamre in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron, the Hittite, to possess as a burying place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife. And there I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is in it were bought from the Hittites. When Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. You know, when I was preparing for this message, I thought, why so much is dedicated to the description of, of where to bury his body? Have, have you noticed how... How many details are given to us. Cave that is in the field at Machpelah, to the east of Mamre, in the land of Canaan. We today, in, in the 21st century in Sharjah, we're like, what? Where is that? Are we supposed to Google that place? Why all these directions, where and who? But then we see a hint. You see, it's where Abraham is buried with Sarah. That's the place that Abraham bought. That's where Isaac and Rebekah are buried. That's where Leah are, is buried. What's the significance of that place? It's in the promised land. It's in the land that was promised by God to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God said, you will possess that land. And they're like, we don't possess it yet, but you know what? 
let us be buried in this land. Because we know if God promised us that we will possess this land, then next generations, our descendants, they will possess it. This cave is the one in which the father and grandfather of Jacob were buried. This cave is located in the promised land. By this command, we may say that Jacob marked this land out with his grave. He says, bury me in my homeland, in my soul. You know, many times people say that before they die. They give this command to their children and they say, you know, I was born there in Almaty, Kazakhstan, carrying my bones over to Almaty, Kazakhstan. That's my soil. I want to be buried there. And here Jacob says, bury my body there, carry my bones there. They're like, is that your homeland? No, that's the place which God promised to my grandfather, to my father, and to me. That's my soil. For Jacob, his homeland is the land that was promised to him by his God. Let's turn to the second death, the death of Joseph. That's at the end, at cha- uh, at, at the end of chapter fa- 50. Uh, chapter 50, verses 24 through 26. And there are quite some similar- similarities uh, between the death of Jacob and death of Joseph. Here we see Joseph giving commands to his brothers uh, before his death. Let's read them. Chapter 50, Genesis chapter 50, verses 24 through 26. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Again, the promised land. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. We know that Jacob's wish was fulfilled. He was buried in that cave in Machpelah. And we know that Joseph's wish was fulfilled when in, in 420 years from his death, Moses, leading the Jews out of Egypt, will not forget to take Joseph's bones with them. It means that generation after generation after generation, the Jews were passing this command one to another, to another, to another, to make sure they do as they were told. Can you imagine? Each generation would say, and, and if you remember the story, future generations after Joseph would be enslaved. They're slaves, and they would retell this story. They would tell their children, look, our grand-grand-grandfather, Joseph, he said that we should carry his bones out of Egypt. They're like, we're here. Are we, are we leaving Egypt? Yes, God will visit us. That's what he promised. That's what Joseph said. And then ultimately they uh, saw the fulfilling of that, of that promise when they were led out of Egypt and they carried the bones out of Egypt. And I would like, what I would like to do now, I would like to show you five similarities. And we're still in point one. We're still looking at two deaths, the death of Jacob and death of Joseph. But I would like to show you five similarities between these two deaths. And I would suggest to you, if you look at these five similarities and ponder them, they will teach you how to die well. This might sound a bit crazy. We think about Christianity as something that teaches us how to live well, and that's right. But you know what? If the Scriptures don't teach you how to die well, you don't read it right. It teaches you how to live well, but it also teaches you how to die well. So let's look at those five similarities, and I hope they'll teach us how to die well. First, Both Jacob and Joseph knew very well that Egypt was not their promised land. Maybe right now you are thinking, oh, we know that Egypt is not a promised land. But at that time, 
Egypt was the most advanced civilization on planet Earth, the best place to live. It's the United States today. I don't know, Switzerland, Australia. I know that some people, many people actually, in Almaty, Kazakhstan, back home, they want to go to the States. They're dying. They're dreaming. They're like, yes, please. That's their promised land. But here, we see Jacob and Joseph. They live in the best place on earth at that time, but they both know that's not our promised land. No, no. They know their promised land is the new heaven and the new earth. That's first thing. Second thing, they both knew very well that God's promises are bigger than they are. It's for the generations ahead. You know, so many times we look at God's promises in the Bible and we look at our lives and we say, well, where's that? Please never assess God's faithfulness, but what happens in your life alone. Our God is the God of eternity. Look at Jacob, look at Joseph. They think about the generations ahead. They don't grumble. They don't complain. They don't say, where is all of that? I'm dying, no land, no descendants. No. They know their God is bigger than themselves. That's the second similarity that we see. The third one, they both give such commands before death that will make sure to keep their descendants in the Word of God. It will make them, if not trust the promises of God, at least be aware of the promises of God. Let me just repeat this third point. Both Jacob and Joseph, they give such commands before death that will make sure that their descendants, the next generations, will be kept in the Word of God. And if not... If, and maybe we don't know if they would trust the Word of God, but at least they'll be aware of the Word of God. Point number four is related to point number three. They died trusting God, which means that they were not overly concerned about themselves. Have you noticed that they didn't leave instructions about making monuments in their name? Jacob didn't say, you know what? I'm actually a great figure. I'm, the patri I'm one of the patriarchs. Make a monument after I die, a big one. He didn't say, name a city after me, or at least a street. No, they thought about others, and that's why they left them with the Word of God. I want to address you for a second. Um, we, those of us who have children, we want to leave the best thing for our children. And let me suggest to you that the best thing that you can do for your children, the best thing that you can leave them with after you are gone is not the best education. It's not the best standards of life. It's not the best health. The best thing that you can do for your children and the best thing that you can leave them with after you're gone is the Word of God. Give them the Word of God. That's what Jacob and Joseph are doing, right? They are making sure to retell God's promises to their descendants. Leave your children with the Word of God. Tell them about God's promises. That's the best thing you can do for your children. That's what Jacob did. That's what Joseph did. That's actually how you die well. Point number five. <laughs> I've already said it several times. But they were they, both Jacob and Joseph, they really died well. Look at them. They're not anxious, not angry, not nervous. Please turn with me again to chapter 49, verse 33. Look at Jacob. He knows he's going to be dead soon. What he does. He just gave the directions about where to be buried that are related to God's promises. And then, look, 
when Jacob finished commanding his sons, just imagine the picture. Imagine that you are there in the same room with Jacob. Look what he does. He drew up his feet into the bed. He's like, okay, let me get myself comfortable here. And breathe his last. <laughs> He's at peace. Jacob is not nervous. He's not anxious. He's not like, oh, what's going to happen to me? I'm dying. No. He drew up his feet into the bed and breathed his last goodbye. <laughs> He's at peace. He knows the God who presides over life and death. And he surely knows that death is not the end. So these are five similarities that we see in those two deaths. And when I look at these things, I may confidently conclude that Jacob and Joseph were not afraid of death. They were not terrified because of death. But it wasn't the case with Joseph's 11 brothers. To the contrary, they were terrified at the prospect of death. We see that in their behavior. This is the second point of the sermon, the fear of death. So we looked with you at two deaths, five similarities of those deaths of Jacob and Joseph. And now let's look at the fear of death. Genesis 50, verses 15 through 17. Let's, let me read them. Genesis 50, verses 15 through 17. It's after they buried their father, Jacob. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now, please forgive the transgression of the servants of the, of, of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. Joseph's brothers are afraid that Joseph would avenge them. You need to know that 29 years prior to that, Joseph's brothers, being jealous of him, wanted to kill him. And they would have killed him. If not the circumstances and some of the brothers' opinions and so on. So they ended up selling him into slavery. And really, literally, forget him about him. Then in 12 years after that, uh, there was famine in the land. They didn't know where to buy bread, and the bread was only in Egypt, where at that time Joseph ascended to the position of the prime minister. So they went there looking for bread. He met them. It's a long story, but ultimately he disclosed himself, gave them bread, gave them land, and for the 17 years provided everything they and their families needed for life. And now, after their father died, they think that he will avenge them. Think about that for a moment. Seventeen years. Seventeen years of nothing but good that Joseph did to them. He he had been feeding them, providing for them and their families, everything they needed. He saved them from starvation. And they saw nothing but care and love and kindness from their brother for the last 17 years. And yet, they think, now he's going to kill us. He's going to avenge us. Because father was the only obstacle between vengeance and Joseph. How could they doubt his goodness towards them so much? After everything they did to him, 
After everything he has done for them and has been doing for the last 17 years, how could they doubt his goodness so much? How is that possible? I don't know. The Bible doesn't give us the, the, the clear answer of why they still doubted his goodness. But I think that the people who are not trustworthy themselves always find others suspicious. Those who do nasty things suspect that others are like them. And probably those 11 brothers thought, you know, we are scoundrels. And uh, why would Joseph be any different from us? They didn't trust God because they themselves were not trustworthy. And there is an important lesson for us in this. Let me just remind you once again, I've already said it three times, but for the last 17 years, these 11 brothers, they experienced nothing but goodness and kindness and care from the brother whom they had betrayed. How can this be? It teaches us that no man can change another. Man don't change man. No matter how much good you do for anybody, that will not change man because man don't change man. God does. No amount of good deeds or care is able to change man's heart. Look at Joseph's brothers, 17 years of undeserved love, kindness, and care, and yet they still didn't trust him. There is no power in the world that is able to change the heart of man. It's sinful, it's depraved. It takes God and his saving work through his son, Jesus Christ, to change our hearts of stone. Only God can do that and does that through the power of the gospel. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ, who is the Savior who rescues sinners like you and me from eternal punishment in hell through His death and resurrection. God in the beginning created men, sinless Adam and Eve, and they trusted God completely. But then Adam and Eve sinned. They believed Satan who said, you know, there is something that God is hiding from you. He's not giving you the best thing. And if you transgress Him, if you stop trusting Him, then you will become like God's. Isn't that what we struggle with every day? Satan is telling us there is something that God is not giving you. Stop trusting Him. And you will become happy, joyful, Finally successful. Satan is using the same strategy. But we need to know that it's a sin when we don't trust God who provides everything we need every day. It's a sin not to trust our Heavenly Father, not to trust God. And there is punishment for sin, eternal punishment. Why? Because if you disobey the eternal God, the punishment for that is also eternal. It's just. You know, sin is such a terrible thing that it transmits to all the descendants. Sin is ingrained in people's hearts. We cannot live for God fully and freely and continually as we were first created. And one of the characteristics of sin is that we do not trust God. Even though God is the most trustworthy being in the whole universe who continually does only good for us. Sinner cannot trust God and others since he suspects others of what he himself is always devising. God knows 
that sin is such a bad thing that only the blood of sinless Son of God, Jesus Christ, can wash it away. That's why God sent His Son into the world to live the life that we were supposed to live and die a death that we deserve so that everyone who repents of their sins and trusts in Christ would have eternal life and would receive a new heart, a heart that is able to trust God, that wants to trust God. If you've never put your trust in Christ, let me assure you, your heart is not capable of trusting God. You just don't have that ability. Once you repent of your sins, once you repent of your mistrust and put your trust in Christ, that's when He replaces your heart of stone with the heart of flesh and you have an ability to trust Him. If you've never done that, today is the day when you should. Trust the Lord. He's worthy of that. So we see here, returning back to Genesis, we see here that brothers don't trust Joseph, but fundamentally they don't, they don't trust God. And what's Joseph's response? What is the response of the one who was betrayed? And as a result of that betrayer spent 12 long years in slavery, in prison, what's the response of the one who forgave his brothers for that evil and responded with unmitigated good towards them for the last 17 years? What's his response? I think if he would have said, forget about you. Just don't want to see you again. Just leave. Everybody would say, yeah, that, that's fair. That's just. Is that what we see here? Let us look at Joseph's response, and we will see a recipe for the deliverance from the fear of death in his response. It's the first point of the sermon. We've spoken about two deaths, then about the fear of death, and now let's look at our third point, which is the deliverance from the fear of death. Before looking at his response to his brothers, I would like for you to see that Joseph is a real man. You know, he's not some theologian in an ivory tower that just, you know, utters right responses to some lies or some questions. No, he's not a stoic. He's not a senseless theologian. He loves the Lord, and therefore he loves the people. He loves his Brothers, we see that in verse 17. Look with me again at verse 17. We've already read it. Chapter 50, verse 17. Um, say to Joseph, that's, that's what brothers conspired, right? Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. They, of course, lie. And Joseph understands that. But look at his response. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. You know why he wept? Because he realized his brothers don't love him. They don't trust him. And that's probably the hardest thing to experience. When somebody you love don't trust you. And that's why he weeps. It's normal. It's appropriate. So he wept when they spoke to him. I just wanted to point out to you that he's a real man with a kind heart. Now let's uh, look at his response. We find it in verses 19 through 21. First of all, notice that everything that Joseph says in his response in these verses 19 through 21 is bracketed by two exhortations, if you will, by two comforting sayings. And I would like for you to look in the Bible and see those two comforting sayings. You will find them in verses 19 through 21. I'll give you some time to find those two. 
you've, you've, probably already, you've, you've probably already found them. They're in verse 19 and 21. You see, he starts with these words. But Joseph said to them, do not fear. And then he finishes with that, right? Verse 21, so do not fear. You see that? So he starts with do not fear, and he finishes with do not fear. He realizes that his brothers lied to him because they're afraid that they would die, that he would kill them. So he says to them, do not fear. Why not fear death? Why shouldn't Joseph's brothers be afraid of him? They did evil that is worthy of revenge and punishment. But Joseph says, do not fear, and he gives two reasons why they should not be afraid of him. Both of those reasons are related to his knowledge of who God is. First reason is that God is a righteous judge, and second is that God is a good sovereign ruler over all. We see the first reason in Genesis 50 verse 19. Look with me at verse 19. But Joseph said to them, do not fear for the reason for not being afraid of death is this. For am I in the place of God? First, what Joseph says is that revenge is not what man is supposed to take in his own hands. Vengeance is God's. Am I in the place of God? Here is what Apostle Paul, thousands of years after that, will say in Romans 12. I'll read it to you. Romans 12, verses 19 through 21. Beloved, it's Apostle Paul writing to the church in Rome. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Vengeance is not something that we are supposed to take into our hands. Vengeance is God's. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And Joseph says, I'm not in the place of God. Mm-mm. I will not avenge you. Here are two lessons for us. If somebody did something evil towards you, if somebody wronged you, and you struggle with forgiving them, if you cherish the thoughts of vengeance in your heart towards somebody, if you wish somebody evil as a result of something they've done to you, then you take the place of God. And may I say to you, God will not allow this to happen. Pray for forgiveness. If you have trouble forgiving like all of us do, never stay in that state of the one who decides not to forgive but to judge. And listen. Some of us think that forgiveness is when you just forget about that person. Delete his number from your phone book. Unfriend him on Facebook. But I haven't done anything wrong. I just deleted him from my life. That's also vengeance. Because you punish that person with neglect. With abstaining from fellowshipping with him. You should be open. You should be open to reconcile with that person. So that's the that's first, first lesson that we can learn from this. second lesson is this, that I, uh, we need to pursue justice. If some injustice has taken place in our lives, we, we need to pursue justice, but only by just means. And even if you don't get, yeah, only by just means. Remember that the righteous judge of all the universe will make everything right. Everybody will give an account for what they've done in their bodies. 
If there are some unrighteous man who will not repent of their sins on this side of eternity, we know that they will bear their punishment eternally. So don't say, oh, you know, there are those people who give and take bribes, who ruin everybody else around them, and they have it easy. The Bible says, ooh, there is a judgment day. And everybody will give an account for what they've done in their bodies. And if there is no Christ in your life, the one who stands in between you and God, you're in trouble. You either carry your punishment in eternity yourself or it was carried for you by Christ on the cross. No other options. So Joseph says to his brothers, do not fear for God is a righteous judge and I am not in his place. Second reason why his brothers shouldn't be afraid of death is that God is a good sovereign ruler over all the universe. Look at what Joseph says in verse 21. So, do not fear. So means that he said something prior to that explaining why they should not be afraid. Right? If I say, so, don't be afraid, don't fear, you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Something was said prior to that. So let's look at the reason that is given to us in verse 20. Genesis 50, verse 20. As for you, says Joseph, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Such a wonderful verse. Let me read it again. As for you, you meant evil against me. Look at what Joseph says. He doesn't say, oh, forget about what you've done. You know, so many times when somebody wrongs us and we're offended, but we don't want to show it up, don't, don't want to show it, we say, oh, oh forget about it. Nah, it's nothing, even though it is something. But we say, oh, don't, don't bring it up. That's okay. Joseph doesn't do that. He says, you meant evil against me. Yes. Let's just state that clearly. But God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Brothers betrayed Joseph. God promoted Joseph to the position of prime minister of Egypt. And then when his brothers and their father were starving, literally, they came to Egypt and Joseph saved them. So what Joseph is saying here is this, I understand God's view on all that happened. I don't just look at it from my perspective. I look at it from God's perspective. And I see that even your evil deeds were used by God to bring out good out of that evil. You see, we oftentimes see on the our side of the picture, I heard it's difficult for me, it's not comfortable for me, and so on and so forth. But Joseph sees God behind everything that happened to him. And he states this in verse 20. It's one of the most important truths in, in the whole of the Bible. This is one of the most Christ-like statements of Joseph. He sees a good sovereign ruler over all the universe behind evil deeds of man. His brothers did evil, but God used that very evil to save the brothers themselves. Joseph sees that and understands it completely. He says what Paul, in thousand years from that time, will state in Romans 8.28, and will just read that passage to us. Romans 8.28, probably second most popular verse in the whole of the Bible after John 3.16. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. All things work together for good. 
I think that with no understanding of this truth, you won't be able to see the greatness of the gospel, if understand it at all. This truth lies at the heart of the gospel. It lies at the heart of what Christ has done for us. Let me read to you Acts 2, 22-23. Look at what it says. Acts 2, 22-23. Man of Israel, hear these words. It's Apostle Peter preaching to the crowds. Man of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and for knowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the, land, by the hands of lawless men. Look what it says here. He says, lawless men did evil. They committed the greatest crime in the universe. They accused the king of the universe of usurping the power. He's the king of the universe. And they say, whoa, why are you usurping the power? They accuse the embodiment of truth, of lying. They accuse the only true God in blasphemy. They killed him. But God used such an evil deed for the good. And think, for the good of whom? For the good of those lawless men who killed him. Those who rebelled against God and killed Him were saved by His death. Isn't that absolutely mind-blowing? It's just... Nobody could come up with such a plan. You know, maybe by this time in the sermon you think, I'm not like Joseph's brothers. I'm not like those who killed Jesus. I'm better. If you think so, you're wrong. You know, there was, we're like them. If it wasn't for the grace of God, we would have done the same if we were in the same position. Maybe you've heard about violence in our city, in Almaty, Kazakhstan, in January of 2022. So there was violence in our city, and um, people burned cars, uh, many people were killed, and there were looters. And you know, I remember watching on the news that among those looters were ordinary people, families, who would run to the stores to steal diapers. They were looting diapers. What does it say about our hearts? That if it wasn't for the grace of God, we would all do what Joseph's brothers did, what those at the cross did, and it's only God who saves us, and none of us is better than the one who ne who's next to us. We're all sinners, and we all need grace. But God can use even such unbelievable evil to bring good out of it. And God proved that when He resurrected His Son and gives us salvation today through the death of His Son and through His resurrection. Joseph says to his brothers, don't fear, for God is a good sovereign ruler over all the universe, and nobody can change His plan for us. He can use even your own evil for your good. Here's a, here is a recipe for deliverance from the fear of death. Remember that God is a righteous judge. I remember that God is a good sovereign ruler over all the universe. Now, there is a question. Do you trust Him? Do you trust Him as a righteous judge? Don't say, but they have to go through the pain that they've caused me. They have to experience my agony. 
They have to repay for what they've done. No. Forgive and trust the righteous judge. Show mercy. Trust a good sovereign ruler over all the universe. Don't say, all could have been different. Oh, if only I could have been there. If only I could know why. He's a good sovereign ruler over all the universe. And everything he does is goodness and mercy towards those who trust him. He can bring good even out of evil for those who love him and who submit under his mighty hand. I have a word for you, Charger Evangelical Church, my brothers and sisters. Whatever happens in the world, you know, there is this war in Ukraine. This COVID, nobody knows when it will end. But whatever happens in the world, only the righteous judge and the good sovereign ruler of all the universe can comfort us and give us peace. No new regulations will bring us comfort or peace. No new government. Nothing. It's only in God's only Son, Jesus Christ, that we can find peace and comfort. If you trust God, if you really trust Him, I can assure you there is no reason to fear death. God turns everything for good to those who love Him, everything, even death. For death is gain. Remember, Apostle Paul, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. So know this, that death is gain for those who are His. Let's pray. Father God, we, we cannot explain and should not try to explain everything. Help us to submit under your mighty hand, knowing that everything that you do is good. May we trust you. Work with us. We, we ask you, please, and help us to look at the cross, not that the circumstances of our life to determine whether you love us or not. Help us to look at the cross to see the proof that you love us and you will never forsake us. We pray all these things in the name of the one who loved us and gave himself for us. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.